0: Good morning. Merry Christmas to you. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up, and these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. I'll give you some time so you can look up in the table of contents. We're going to go to the book of Micah. You haven't figured that out already. There is a book of Micah in the Old Testament. You can hunt for it, or you can do like I do. You go to the table of contents and you find it. Check your theological trivia. Micah is a minor prophet. Anybody know what that means? Who said that? That's a smart man right there. Micah's a minor prophet. You know why they're called minor prophets? Because their message was less important. No, because the books are shorter. We're deep. Minor prophets. However, in the case of Micah, it is interesting because he truly is, in many ways, a minor prophet. We're going to get back to that in just a moment. I want to mention a couple of things to you, and then we will Jump into Bethlehem. We're going to talk about Bethlehem today as we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. For those of you that helped yesterday at our help group at Bartlett, again, uh, our deep gratitude for the leadership. We had a lot of people from Arlington that were there and, and both campuses But we had probably, I didn't get an exact number, but when I left, it was 425 families that we served. So I'm guessing we we're somewhere around 450 uh, when I got there yesterday morning, they were literally lined up from the south entrance of the building in Bartlett all the way back to the condos on the back side of the property, if you know how far. That's a, that's a, and it was a little cool. They were lined up that early to get in, and, and I was upstairs in the clothes closet for a while, and it was nonstop chaos up there, just trying to, to get everything out, and we had a lot of people. So thank you again for helping yesterday, and lest I forget it, which I probably will, uh, Tuesday night, Christmas Eve, we will be here at 5 o'clock, we have our annual candlelight service days from now, at 5 o'clock, not 6 o'clock, so 5 o'clock, Tuesday night, if you can come and be with us, it's a, it's a cool to get together, Bartlett will be doing 6 o'clock, so we'll do ours at 5 o'clock, now y'all not going to tell anybody, that I can't trust some of you, 5 o'clock, Tuesday, 5 o'clock, Tuesday night, so, all right, take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to Micah, chapter 5, Micah. I mentioned earlier, Micah truly is a minor prophet, not just in the sense of a shorter book, but in the sense that he was uh, fairly insignificant. You don't think much about him, and yet God gave him a profound prophecy, and we're going to talk about that prophecy, and what God was doing, and the context, and setting all of it up as we think about it again, and we celebrate the incredible moment that everyone calls Christmas, And we understand and we're celebrating the fact God was with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He came to the planet at a definite definite moment in time, God, the son, who had always been the son of God, that great passage from Isaiah we looked at last week, the son is given, child is born at a definite moment in time, eternal God himself, his plan of redemption was I'll pay the price because they can't pay it. He stepped into space and time, planet earth, became as a man, came as a child We celebrate the birth of the Christ child at Christmas. But if you'll notice (coughs) the top of your handout today, today's a message, we're looking at the birthplace of the king, not too below Mississippi, but Bethlehem. I started to do it, Rhiannon said I better not do that, but anyway, so I always run it by Rhiannon, if you're smart, you run it by people smarter than you. So we're going to celebrate the birthplace of the king. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the eternal great I Am, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, was given to us as our Redeemer, and He came to us, He was born as a child, and we celebrate that as Christmas, as Christians, Christmas is our heart, it's who we are, We, we revel in the fact that God chose, I love that passage in Philippians where it says, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He chose that because he loved us, and he said, you can't pay your sin debt. No matter how good you are, I'll pay it for you, and then in Christ, you can be declared righteous or right with God. That's what peace on earth means. We talked about that. So we just sang a few moments ago the little song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, (coughs) pardon me, written in 1867 by a guy named Philip Brooks, and I love that I love Christmas carols anyway, and I love hymns just to go back and look at the theology of the great classic hymns. But in that one, it's the heart of Christmas. It's the celebration. It's salvation. It's just stopping the contemplation that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Thee tonight. Peace on peace to men on earth. Abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel, birthplace of God, the King. Was it a little? Community called Bethlehem so let's be, look at that and what I want you to see as we look at Bethlehem is the sovereign hand of God over all of this how, what God said he was going to do then what he ultimately did and how you could see in it God saying I'm in control I'm in charge but beyond that applicably for us as believers God is sending a message to us that no matter how dark it may look no matter how bleak things seem to be, I'm in tomorrow, and I'm working something good. I'm working something great. I'm working something incredible on your behalf. The big picture on the behalf of mankind is redemption. But also for us as individuals that God is working this great plan that he has for each of our lives, focused in on the person of the Christ child, the king of kings, the great I am who came to planet earth to die for me, and how special that contemplation is. And that's why when you hear Christmas carols and when you sing them, sometimes just to stop and, and meditate on the words, what it means that there's now the capacity to have peace on earth. You could be at peace with God. You could know the peace of God, even on planet earth. When, when everything around you is exploding and in turmoil, you could say, I'm at peace. Why? Because the Christ child was, he came to die and rise again so that we could be set free. It is truly something to celebrate. So let's begin by looking at the prophecy in Micah chapter 5. If you look at chapter 4 first, verse 10, then we'll get into chapter 5. Kind of look at the context and the history of the prophet Micah 410. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. for now you shall go forth from the city. You'll dwell in the field. To Babylon, that's the key phrase talk about in a moment. To Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. You're going to Babylon. You're ultimately going to be redeemed there. You will return. Now, also many nations have gathered against you who say, Let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand His counsel. Well, he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Here's the context. Here's the history. Micah prophesied to like seven kings, four in Israel, three in Judah. When I get into great detail, the nation of Israel was divided into ten, ten kingdoms around 931 B.C. Ten of those were called Israel. I know it gets confusing. You just got to know where you're reading in the Bible. Ten of those were called Israel. I went five, so five twice be ten, right? Boy, that math comes in handy. Ten of them were called Israel, two were called Judah. The ten were called the northern kingdom. The two were therefore called the southern kingdom. So they talked a little funnier than their northern brethren. So you have the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Israel, north, Judah, south. Israel, around 722 B.C., was taken captive by Assyria because of their rebellion against God, their disobedience to God, and this was written, what we're about to read, or when the prophet of Micah was written, was about a hundred years after that Assyrian captivity, about 622, 620 BC. And notice what we just read in chapter four. God is saying through Micah, Judah, here's what's coming for you. They, Assyria took them captive. You did not learn from your northern brethren, and so who's going to take you captive? Babylon is. Nebuchadnezzar is coming. And starting in 605 B.C. to about 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem. And they take captive people like Daniel, one of the most powerful books in all of Scripture, is the book of Daniel. Not because of the prophecy in it, but but see the hand of God and what he's doing. To send a message to Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, to Babylon, to Medo, to Persia, all those kingdoms and all that would come, that you think you're the great kingdom, but guess what? There is only one king, and I am. Same thing he told Moses when he went to Pharaoh of Egypt. The great message of history is that there is, we've talked about this many times, there is a God, and what? You ain't it. I am. You ain't, Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. And what you see in the book of Daniel is from Nebuchadnezzar, Again, king after king after king, they mock God and God gets their attention. For example, one of them crawls around Nebuchadnezzar for like three years like an animal. When he comes out of it, you know what he says? Perceive now that the God of Daniel is God. He gets it. And all you see in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel's protégés, what you see in them, I love the verse Daniel 1.8 is one of those chilling verses that every time I read it or quote it, it, it brings, I'm getting goosebumps right now as I get ready. to. Daniel 1.8, a 15-year-old kid, the age of my granddaughter, said 15. Everything he's ever known has been destroyed by Babylon. He's been taken captive. He now lives in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. They're trained, they take the sharpest people, Babylon did, and they're going to turn them into princes of Babylon. They're going to work for the king, Nebuchadnezzar. So with people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were their Babylonian names, even their names. Here's what Daniel says to without well, getting into the context of the story. He says these words. Or the Bible says, Daniel purposed his heart that he might not defile himself. He said to them, Let me do it my way, and it turned out his way worked. But he purposed in his heart as a, I will not defile myself. I will be what God wants me. And we'll see how all this ties together in a minute. God had given him a gift. By the way, did God know he was going to go into the Babylonian? He just told Micah before it happened. This is what's going to happen. De- Jeremiah told him, you're going to go, and it's going to be 70 years, which it was. Micah says, you will come back. You'll go back to your land. And by the way, after Nebuchadnezzar got through in 586 B.C., what was left in Jerusalem? Nothing. It had been leveled. Where was the temple? It was Gone. It had been leveled. They didn't have a temple to go back to. They didn't have a land to go back to. Everything had been just burnt and destroyed. There was nothing. They, they, they are now Babylonians. They're owned. But 70 years later, under Cyrus, king of Persia, God has Cyrus make a decree. Let the Jews go back home if they want. And the vast majority of them, millions that went to Babylon, you know how many went back? 50,000. A remnant, don't miss that word, a remnant went back, small. And through that remnant, God did his work, and he brought the Messiah. God knew what he was doing. That's the message of Micah. It's the message for us. The takeaway from understanding Christmas is that no matter how bad it looks in the moment, and it did not look good for Judah, Israel is gone. Judah is facing, Assyria took them, and you don't really hear from them anymore. Judah looks like they're about to go to Babylon. You're not ever going to hear from them, but here's what God says. Understand, it looks bleak in the moment, but you will be redeemed, and you will come back. That all these nations will raise, rage against you. But when it's all said and done, you will survive. My kingdom is Jesus' eternal, not temporal. So you get into Micah chapter 5. Remember, Micah was just an insignificant prophet. He's saying, look, this guy, nobody took him, listened to him. But here's what God allows him to do. You fast forward to Micah 5 too, to the great verse we've all learned, read many times. You fast forward 700 years. Here's, here's what God said. Now, I know it's bad right now, Judah, but let me tell you what I'm going to do down the road. Now, they didn't know it was 700 years, but here's what happened, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrod, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Here's what God says. Tell them, Micah, I know it's bad right now, and I'm going to send a messiah. Flip over to chapter 7 for a moment. We're going to come right back, right back to 5. Flip over to chapter 7, verse 8. Excuse me, 18. 7, 18. Micah ends his prophecy. Notice these words. Now God through Micah says, you're going into captivity. Babylon's coming. You're going to come back from Babylon. I'm going to set you free from that. But ultimately, and finally, I'm going to send the Messiah, the King of Kings. Now, verse 18 of chapter 7, Micah ends his prophecy. Who's a God like you? Pardoning iniquity or forgiving sin. Passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. There's that word, remnant. All their sins, God said, I'm going to forgive them. I'm sending a Messiah. He does not retain his anger. God does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities or our sins. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. We do a whole sermon series on those three verses, but I won't do it, at least not today. Let me sum up for you this way. Micah ends his prophecy saying, who is a God like our God, who shows us mercy and shows us grace when we don't deserve it. We've snubbed our nose at him. We've basically turned our back on him. We've forgotten him. We don't obey his law. Yeah, we're paying a price. We're going to Babylon. But man, he's going to save us. He's going to pardon our iniquities. He's going to throw them in the depths of the sea. He's going to forget about them. I hope you understand when you read that on a personal knee. You don't deserve. You weren't worthy of that blood. I love you. I'm going to to take your wrath. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I'm going to take your wrath. I'm going to pay your price. I'm going to give you peace on earth. I'm going to show you grace. Good Lord, men, that's Christian. And Micah sums it up by saying, who is a God like our God? I love to meditate on the past. Who is a God like my God? I told somebody the other day, I'm thinking about looking at the nature of God, and I'm going to it, Who's Your Daddy? I'd probably have Toby Keith come and sing for Tyler. Who's your daddy? You need to stop and think about stuff like that. Your God's just not a religious creation of a crazy Jew 2,000 years ago. He's the eternal I am, the omnipotent Creator of the universe who deems to call you son or Christmas. Let's look at what he did at Bethlehem. So Micah says, God says through Micah, this humble prophet, here's where the Messiah is going to be born. I'll give you this specific village Bethlehem Epaphrodite. In other words, there's Arlington, Tennessee, and you got Arlington, Texas. I imagine every state's probably got an Arlington. Arlington, uh, Virginia, obviously. Everybody got an Arlington a lot of Bethlehems, he's saying, now let me be real specific so everybody will know. Nobody can say, you're going to, the Messiah, the ruler, the one who's going to come to set everyone free, who redeemed, he's going to be born at Bethlehem, Epaphras. That's the little village five, six miles outside Jerusalem. I've been there. number of you have been there. If you've been on a trip to Israel, you always go there because that's where they try to sell you jewelry and stuff. It's the truth. It's just funny how God does things. I was there in January of 1990. I'm standing in Bethlehem, not Pennsylvania, outside Jerusalem. I'm standing in a shop. Everybody's shopping. I'm watching. There money. I'm watching. Just standing there, 1990. I graduated from high school in 1972. So I'm doing my math again. I think that's 18. I hear somebody say, Randy. And I turn and look, and there was a couple there. Mary and I went to high school. We graduated with, they got married like we did a year out of high school. I had not seen them since May of 1972. They lived about a mile from us in Memphis, and I had not seen them anywhere, and I run into them in Bethlehem. I said, oh, y'all go to the reunion? (laughs) Crazy. By the way, if you've never done that trip, you need to start telling people, give me presents, and you're going to set up a GoFundMe to send me to Israel. You need to take that trip one time in your life if you're a believer in Jesus. It's, It's powerful. Okay, that didn't, I, didn't, I don't even get paid for that. Alright, at least 14 Old Testament prophets give us 125 prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. You don't see that for any other religious leader in history. Muhammad, any of them. So he said, Bethlehem, Apapra, the one right outside Jerusalem, about five miles outside Jerusalem, that's where the Messiah is going to be born. By the way, did Jesus have any control over where he was born? Not as a human being, he didn't. He was In Mary's womb, see the sovereign hand of God, the virgin birth. Okay, look at the place, verse 2. You, Bethlehem, the place of the birth of the king. You, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me. Again, a little village about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. literally means house of bread or house of fruitfulness. It's where David grew up. Again, you read the Old Testament, it's where Ruth, if you read the book of Ruth, and she meets Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, that happened at Bethlehem. Again, kinsman redeemer, he was a picture, a type of Christ. Look at verse 2 again there in Micah 5. Though you are little, small little village, out of you will come the Messiah. Notice the very first phrase in verse 2, but you, but you, out of you, Bethlehem. It's a contrast to Hebrew Paul's from chapter 4. Remember, when this was written, it didn't have chapter, verse designations. So, he's talking about all that's going on with Judah and Jerusalem, what's coming with Babylon, and then there's a Hebrew, in Hebrew, there's a pause, like a significant stop. I told you, but's my favorite word in the Bible. Here's the contrast. But, understand, there's a day coming, as bad as it is at Jerusalem, where the temple is, and how bad it's going to be when Babylon comes, but I'm going to do something in a little bitty village nobody even thinks about. It. Bethlehem, I'm going to do something significant. There's victory coming from Bethlehem. Now look at the person in verse 2. Look how he's described. Verse 2, from Bethlehem, out of you shall come forth to me. And notice the description of him, the one. To me, literally means in Hebrew, to me, God himself. To me is going to come the unique only one, the only one who could do what this child is going to do because he was God and man. He was 100% God, 100% man. That's why the virgin birth is significant. You can't ignore it and pass it over and say it didn't happen. The hypostatic union, God with us. was The reason he could come, he's significant, the most significant birth ever, not just because he was born of a virgin, but because he was God. God and man, therefore he could understand, empathize with us, like the Bible says, in every way. He, he understands us in every way. He's tempted every way we were, yet without sin. He empathizes. But because he was perfect and never sinned, when he died, that's why the entire book of Hebrews is focused on the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, it was the final sacrifice once for all. You don't need any more blood. You don't need the blood of bulls and goats. You don't need another temple. You don't need a high priest. You are a priest. You have the high priest. You don't need anything else. You have Christ. The entire book of Hebrews, that's what the focus of it is. Well, he's saying, out of you, Bethlehem, I'm going to send the one, the unique, the only one for me, God, who will be. Back to verse 2, ruler of Israel. Remember, they're in the, the immediate context is there is no more place for them to rule. It's, it's going to be gone. Babylon's going to level it. But I'm going to send the ultimate ruler, the king of kings, the lord of lords. When Gabriel made the announcement to Mary at the first At the birth of the Christ child, here's what Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1. He will be great, the one you're carrying, Mary. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He is the one, unique. He is the ruler of Israel, and he is the everlasting one. Look back at verse 2 again, very end of it. His goings forth, he will be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth, Are from of old, from everlasting. In other words, David was a great king, but David was not God. David was not perfect. David, you read about again in the New Testament. The passages are not referring to David because David bones saw corruption. Jesus did not. He rose from the dead. So when he says here, his goings forth are from. Everlasting he's et- means he's eternal. He is the great I am. What's well, the only thing that is eternal going backwards is God. Everything else had a moment in time when it was created. The universe, me and you. Only God is a self-existent entity that was not created. He's everlasting. He, The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning. He's outside time. All those things that give you a headache when you try to meditate on them. He's the great I am. He's eternal. I love the book of John, as some of you know. In the great prologue, start, John starts out this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In the beginning means before there was time, there was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. And then verse 14 in that prologue, he dropped down it says, and the Word became flesh, Christmas, and dwelt among us. And he goes on to say, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten one, full of grace and truth. Full of it. Right? Grace and truth. He was everything that mankind needed. That's what we say. Emmanuel. At Bethlehem, Micah, an incredible miracle is going to occur. God, you tell him, Micah, a day's coming, bad as it is now, and it's going to be bad. The Messiah. Now notice verse 5 in Micah. Let's drop down to 5.5. Five. He's the peace. We talk about at Christmas. And this one shall be peace. Isaiah 9.6 describes the coming Messiah as, we looked at it last week, prince of peace. Jesus in the upper room discourse as he's preparing his disciples for his departure to go to the cross the next day says this, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, in the world, you will have tribulation. Be in the world. I give you a different kind of peace. Paul in Romans five talked about last week. Says we have peace with God. Paul says you can have the peace of God. And probably the most famous statement we looked at it again last week, and everybody hear him singing about it all the time. He'll probably ad nauseum now. It's other Christmas music. If I hear "Baby It's Cold Outside" one more time, I'm to cut my arm off. When the angels made the great announcement about the birth of the Christ child, what did they? Born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ. Grace has come. You can have peace. Grace has come. That's Christmas. All right. Flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at the fulfillment and we'll be done. Matthew 2. That one you ought to be able to find. Look at Bethlehem and the birthplace of the king. Again, eyes focused on the scripture. See the sovereign hand of God. I'm going to read something that's well known, very famous to you, leading up to Matthew chapter 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And they were all proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph... Also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem. Christmas. Nazareth, which is where they had to go. Remember, Mary is nine months pregnant. Ladies, when you were nine months pregnant, what's the only place you wanted to go to? The bathroom. <laughs> you wanted to be left alone? That your husband to shut up his mind, do exactly what he's told? And we ain't going anywhere until it's time to have this baby. They had to travel 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem in that culture. That, they didn't hop. In the car and drive. She's nine months pregnant. He said, I'll get, uh, Come on, we gotta go to Bethlehem. She goes, I ain't visiting your people, I'm nine months pregnant. We gotta go. Please see the ha- sovereign hand of God and they also see the humor with God. Oh, Mary probably didn't find it too funny. Caesar Augustus was considered what in that culture? The emperor, if you were the emperor of Rome, what were you considered? A god. Nobody crossed Caesar. That's why they gotta go. And God says, "Caesar thinks he's a god. I'll handle this. Why don't you just declare a census, for the heck of it?" He declares a census. Everybody's gotta go to their hometown and register. If you're in the Roman Empire, which is the known world, so Joseph says, "I got now." Mary did not have to go. See the sovereign hand of God. Joseph had to go. Mary didn't. Joseph said, "I better take. She's nine months pregnant. Better take her with me." So I can. he's a righteous man. Tough, difficult journey but They get there, They get there. It's really interesting to read the story there. He told Micah, I will do what? Messiah's going to be born in Bethlehem. I got to get him to Bethlehem. How am I going to do that? I'll just, because by the way, Daniel tells you every root of God, all of them. So we see them. you get there. It's just a little side note I find fascinating. He so said they were born, he had to put him in a feed trough, born in the manger, them in the inn. It wasn't like a courtyard by Marriott sitting there. Bethlehem was such a small village, it didn't even probably have like a motel. What it really means is people, you would go and you would stay in somebody's home. That's where you would end. And so they probably went to Bethlehem and Joseph being from Bethlehem went where? where would the logical place to be. When my daughter comes home from Nashville, where is she going? They're going to show up at my house, but there's going to be no room at the inn. The grandkids can stay, but she and her husband, they're on their own. So probably when he went to family members, they just did not have any room because everybody was in Bethlehem. Why? Because of the census. So they kept their animals in the back of the houses for warmth, protection, whatever. And so ultimately, there's no place up here with the real people. You could go back there with the animals and be born. That's probably what happened. All right, let's move on. Let's look at the people here quickly and then we're finished. In Matthew chapter 2. On this great historic night, let's see what happens. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east of Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ or Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet Micah, which we just looked at. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was." When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They came in, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Herod. Let's look at him first. I want to focus on the wise men, so let's briefly. This is, he was known in history as Herod the Great. His moniker that he went by, which had been given to him because he knew some people in Rome, the moniker that he went by was king of the Jews. And God has a of humor. I'm going to show you who's king of the Jews, having born in Judea. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, like I had said. So when Herod, the great who ruled right up about to this time when Jesus is born is about when he is taken out. He was ruthless, he was paranoid, he was a murderer. He murdered like two brothers, a couple of sons, wives, anybody he thought was out to get him. He just had them killed. He called himself the king of the Jews, as we said. So look at verse 2. Two things you notice happen. When Herod, let's just look at verse 2 again, saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? The wise men come to him. The magi, by the way, wise men in Greek, it's magi, it's where we get that from. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We've come to worship king of the Jews. Herod saw it, wait a minute, I'm king of the Jews. But notice his response, verse 3. When Herod heard this, he was what? Troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. He's troubled. All Jerusalem is getting troubled because if Herod's troubled, they're troubled, and the wise men are probably going all over the place. Anybody know where the king of the Jews is born? Followed his star. We'll come back to that in a moment. So what does Herod do? This is fascinating. Who does he ask? We're talking about the king of the Jews, and they're talking, they've come to worship the king of the Jews or the Messiah. Where's he supposed to be born? He goes to the scribes and the priests who are legal experts who would know the law and the prophets backwards and forwards. He goes to them and notice, immediately, without hesitation, without question, their response is, the Messiah will be born where? Bethlehem. It's clearly, the prophet Micah makes it clear. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. By the way, do they get excited and say, let's run over to Bethlehem? They knew God's word. What did they not know? They didn't know the God of the word. They knew what it said, but they weren't looking for the Messiah. They were just looking out for their own interests, just like Herod. So what does Herod do? He tries to murder the Christ child. Tries to deceive the wise men, lies to the wise men, Go up down to verse 16. Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and he put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. What he's saying is, I'm not exactly sure. Could have been a couple of years later. We don't know because he's talking about a child. Could have been a different house. Doesn't matter. Here's what Herod does. I'm not sure exactly when this is. I'm just going to kill every male child under two. That way I'll cover my bases. The murdering, paranoid tyrant. I'm just going to kill them all because I feel threatened by this Christ child. He was king of the Jews, and he was threatened by a baby or a two-year-old, whatever it might be, a toddler, because that baby, that toddler, was the real king of the Jews. And these chief priests, scribes, experts, immediately, they knew the truth. They just Now, let's focus for our last few minutes on the wise men. I love this picture. Chapter 2 again, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. A lot of things you see about this and stories and and pageants and and history. And we just need to let the Bible say what it says. By the way, we get our English word magic for this word, magi. These guys were learned scholars probably from Persia. They were astrologers. They were priestly class from Persia, maybe Babylon. And they studied the stars. God had miraculously, whatever it is, no one knows. God miraculously gives him a sign it's leading them. Now notice what it says in verse 1. They came from the east, verse 2, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. We've come to worship him. Now I want us to go back for a moment to what we were talking about earlier in history. Remember, Michael said the Babylonian captivity is coming, Right? When the Babylonian captivity came, 605 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar began to besiege Jerusalem, one of the first groups he took included a guy named Daniel. You know the story, he gets there. Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream that nobody, none of his, his uh, wise men can interpret. And Daniel has been given a gift by God to interpret dreams. So they bring Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. He's able to interpret the dream. Two things happen. Nebuchadnezzar decides, I'm going to kill all these other wise men because this kid knows more than they do. And the kid saves their lives. He pleads their case, and he saves their lives. And Daniel becomes the second most man in the world because God had given him a gift. Nebuchadnezzar promoted him to the boss of whom? See the hand of God? He becomes the boss of all the wise men, not just under Nebuchadnezzar, but every king that followed. For 70 years. And so, when they had staff meetings on Monday morning, what do you think Daniel talked to the wise men about? The God of Abraham and Jacob, the great I am, the one who will come one day. Daniel talked about it. Daniel taught them from generation to generation to generation. And these guys at the Magi who show up at the birth of the Christ child, they had been taught the scriptures. It had been passed down to them more than likely generation to generation to generation. You see, God allowed the Babylonian captivity, one, to punish Judah, two, to prepare for Bethlehem, the hand of God. They knew more than the chief priests and the scribes because they had heard about the God of Daniel. Their ancestors had told them about it. They'd been taught it. Please notice this and don't miss it. It's so cool. Here are the chief priests and the scribes who had had God's word, They taught it, they were experts in it, they were Jewish. What nationality were the wise men? Gentiles, not Jewish, yet who's seeking the Messiah? Not the Jews, not the king of the Jews, Herod, but the pagan wise men that God had revealed it to. They're following his star. They've come to worship, quote, the king of the Jews. Colossians chapter two, Paul writes these words. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. You want to know wisdom? God. Yeah. You go to God's Word. John chapter 4, it's a great story. Jesus goes out of his way to go to Samaria. Remember, all his, his, the 12 that were with him were Jewish. They hated Samaritans, wanted nothing to do with them. They were half-breed dogs. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And they were like, no, 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 we got to go around Samaria, Lord. We don't walk through Samaria. He said, no, I need to go to Samaria it's on my way. And he encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. You know, she's on her fifth man. Jesus points all that out to her. He doesn't condemn her. He loves her. He meets her. She gets saved. She goes back into her town in Samaria. And Now, it says this. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. He knew her whole life. So when the Samaritans had come to him, to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Incredibly unusual for a Jewish rabbi to spend time in the home with Samaritans You can do it. Many more believed because of Jesus' own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, what you said, but we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior, not just the Jews, but whom? Even us Samaritans, even Gentiles. See the message at Bethlehem on the birth of the Messiah? It wasn't the Jews that got it. It was what? The Gentiles. The other thing that's so cool about this, when it's announced Who do the angels announce it to? Do they go to Rome and announce it to the emperor? Do they go to the Sanhedrin and announce it? Who do they announce it to? From the priestly class of the Gentiles to the lowest class of the Jews, God says your Savior is here. What a message that we have to share with Jesus, the Savior of the world. Now notice what they say, verse 2. And by the way, it's probably much more than three. I know because gold, frankincense, and myrrh Everything, there's three of them. It was probably hundreds because they troubled all Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 2. What do the, the Bible say in verse 2 about the wise men? Number one, they, we have come to worship the king of the Jews, to honor him, exalt him, adore him, serve him. Drop down to verse 10. It says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Verse 11, they fell down and worshiped him. They presented gifts to him, verse 11. You see the hand, the sovereign hand of God from Micah's prophecy, Assyria, Babylon, Bethlehem, to the Roman emperor declaring a census, Joseph getting to Bethlehem, and then the Magi showing up to worship the Christ child. Here's what I want to do as we close. I'm going to read part of the... A couple of verses from O Little Town of Bethlehem, and I want you just as I read it, maybe even close your eyes and just meditate on these words as I read from a Christmas carol thing this morning, everybody sing. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth, praises sing to God the King, peace to men on earth. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin, enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, come to us. Abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. You see, the Christ child was, he could do things that no one else could do. He changed hearts, lives, because he was God, Emmanuel. Tell you a quick true story, and then we're going to pray. December 7th, 1941, we all know, that Pearl Harbor, one of those days you just don't forget. The captain of the Japanese squadron that bombed Pearl Harbor was named Mitsuo Fuchida commander of the squadron that bombed Pearl Harbor. He became, obviously, a huge hero in Japan after the war. Well, this is his own story, but he said, my life was empty. And he heard about one of Doolittle's bombers, you know who they are, the amazing story of the American Flyers, one named Jacob chazer He was captured. He was put in prison in Japan. Someone gave him a New Testament, and reading it changed his life, Jacob DeShazer. Fuchida heard about the change in his life, and so he began to read the New Testament. And he, became, he came to the story of the crucifixion, and he said he was so moved by Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, he, what they do. He said, I couldn't understand how anybody could pray for their enemies. And he thought back to what I had done on December 7th for the Lord Jesus. Pearl Harbor was a horrific moment in the history of our country. Next please. So, Father, we thank you that we can celebrate seeing Christmas is so special for Christians. Well, Lord, we thank you that the most significant thing we celebrate is that we could be changed on earth. Peace with you in Christ. We can be born again, have a new life because you forgive. The everlasting light came to Bethlehem, through Bethlehem for us. So I pray you move in our hearts as Christians to celebrate, to share Jesus, just to love him wherever we might find ourselves just and be forgiving. Lord, for somebody seated here who's never said to Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Please give me be a Christ follower. Be their moment right now. Amen. Please stand as we sing and if you'd like me to pray with you I'll be down front.